friends, and welcome to Brainworms, the podcast where four shut-ins collectively unravel as we talk about some books. I mean, is that really different from just everyone else's experience over the last year? It's not, but the difference is we're doing it into microphones. Ah, we're self-important. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. You know, okay, serious question for anyone that may Hold have- Hold on, before you ask that serious question, I should say that I'm Joe. I'm David. I'm Kane. And I'm Chris. Okay, continue. And my serious question is, okay, you know, I know that one of the characteristic fundamentals of our species is looking at weird places and going, I'm going to live there, and then adapting to that environment. But seriously, like, who kept going north and was like, hey, look at this frigid landscape of ice and snow where nothing grows, and, like, I have icicles on me all the time. Nice. <laughs> and then said, yeah, yeah, I want to live here. And then started living there. So, because we originated out of Africa, right? Yeah. And we started spreading around the world. Right. So when we came out of Africa and started looking at like the vast, arid desert landscape and said like, yeah, I'm going to live here. But there's barely any water and it's hot all the time. I'm going to live here. So I think there are probably a couple, and I don't have a degree in anthropology, yeah, this is well beyond the scope of this show. Sure, but just to to go ahead and use the the confidence that being a white man has given me, I'm going to go ahead and answer this question. <laughs> so human beings, Homo sapiens sapiens, modern man developed in Africa. Homo sapiens neanderthalis developed probably in Europe, or at least in a separate location. So Neanderthal and Homo sapiens did coexist. And they, in some cases, seem to have had not necessarily shared cultures, but trade amongst themselves and also combat. And, you know, as sex. you might imagine, yes, definitely sex, lots of it. But probably we just followed them and found that, I mean, if you think about it, like before we really jumped into agriculture and started planting things in the ground, which I personally think was a huge mistake, but there's no <laughs> tournament back now, we would have had to have a fairly far-ranging circuit that we would follow to you know, a, a territory range that would stretch for probably some miles. And if you want to not be up in the business of the other humans that are in that territory, you just keep spreading out. You have kids, they pick up, they move into other ranges. And so we just spread. And like you said, we're adaptable. We figured out how to wear clothing that allowed us to survive in those places. And turns out we could still grow things there. Not entirely sure why... People like the Inuit or the Eskimo decided to settle where they did, but it seems like they were doing a pretty good job of getting by there. So once they figured out how to do it, why leave? Right. Yeah, but it's just looking at that environment where there's so little to rely upon and then living there to the point that you adapt to, like penguins evolved there like they're adapted to that environment and we came from a different environment to this extremely different environment and said yeah i'm gonna make this work well i mean whatever ancestor whatever common ancestor that became penguins didn't start there 
you know? So they, they would have had to have been there and survived there before they were adapted to the environment in order to be adapted to the environment. Oh, so you're saying that the progression northward for humans was just as slow as the bird that became the penguins northward spread was arguably yeah i can't say for sure certainly not off the cuff but right that makes sense because i was thinking of it as like very primitive settlers leaving and then deciding to pick up in a new place it's also possible that if you think about the existence of the land bridge people coming from asia and spreading north out of asia up through siberia and over into Alaska, you go back and forth, you just kind of go across that range, and then eventually that bridge goes away and you're stuck. Mm. There is no going back, so you just make the best of it. I wonder how many failed civilizations. More than we will ever know. <laughs> yeah. We should probably read a book. Also. Uh, this is fine. We'll just talk what, about this. Are we, are we going to go into origin ah i see what you did there yeah uh-huh. i'm not stoked about it <laughs> yeah but you're very like I see what you stoked. did there and i'm just not stoked about it kane would you rather read this or more left behind books because there are more we can there read are more so many more i mean i always have the option to just go get in the furnace and do it <laughs> I, do I it motherfucker you won't you. i will though See, the problem is, as soon as you do, it's just going to crank out another <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's just going to, yeah. As long, everything is set to, like, book reading is your primary function. So there's always going to be an iteration that's that's reading the book. <laughs> Wait, if, if not David's primary function is to read books, why didn't we give him an appendage to turn pages? You didn't give me any appendages. I know, but, like, you don't need, like, all you need is one hand to turn a page. You know, you don't need feet to read a book. Because none of us are geneticists, Chris. David got a mysterious funding bonus from his trip to Alaska or wherever, and we did the best we could with it, all right? Well, look, look. Not David isn't a website programmer, but he banged his nose on the keyboard until he made our fine website knowing nothing. So, you you know what? I, I'm not taking that as an excuse. Well, I mean, by then, I had already crafted some rudimentary phalanges mm-hmm. yeah i mean really i i'm i'm impressed you were yeah. in the habit of it is a thing and that weird gentacle that you have that you use as some kind of prehensile poker and i just i, I want to let you know that there was nothing personal about the decision to not give you arms and legs it was entirely concern about the cloning process and having read enough books where clones try to murder their originals true and i felt like just making you a torso was safer yep jokes on you (laughs) yeah i'm gonna go get some coffee if i could kill all of you guys to resurrect isaac asimov and then become his his apprentice i would what what whatever um what the fuck dan brown i like irobot yeah it's pretty good dan brown dan brown we're reading his most recent book origin to ultimately see how it compares to his very first book that we read, Digital Fortress. And and uh, as a quick refresher, the main character of Origin, I'm just going to call him Dan Brown too. Dan Brown has the one true shot at religion's Achilles heel mm-hmm. that 
you know, has definitely not existed for a long time that religious people just hand wave away. No, th- this is going to do it. He's got it. Right. And he's about to. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the book got bored of that slightly interesting plot. And we're picking up somewhere completely different. Yeah, well, I mean, we we didn't get too far. We got the intro prologue where we learned about Kirsch, who I I think it's unfair to call Kirsch, Edmund Kirsch, a Dan Brown stand-in. Because obviously Robert Langdon is a Dan Brown stand-in. Can all the characters be a Dan Brown stand-in? Well, from a certain point of view yes he is the author so all of these people are standing in for him does anyone remember the fact that dan brown just one day decided that he wanted to be an author and then he just was yeah yeah well i mean he wasn't making it in electronic music so no from now on i choose to believe that every character in a dan brown book is dan browns it's just a bunch of dan browns talking to each other like the movie being john malkovich I haven't seen that, but I want to. You should. It's great. Bad good or good good? No, good good. It's weird. It's strange. Malkovich? Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. That's such a disturbing scene. It really is. It really is. Chris, in the interest of helping you with that mental image, I'm going to send you a very particular image of Dan Brown. Can this be somehow shared with the viewers can, can this just be the thumb yeah i'll page? make it the, i'll make it the thumbnail it's fine thumb, thank you thumbnail that's what i meant Not yeah the thumb page that's a complete different the thing thumb don't page. go don't go to the thumb page don't go to the thumb page don't oh go god thumbpage.com <laughs> every image of dan brown that i found where he's like posing for a photograph he has that very specific slightly unsettling grin his eyes are just like like eggshells like you poke him and there's nothing behind him i don't feel good about this because it feels a little bit like I'm I'm shaming. Right. But I just have to point out that in this photograph, there's it looks like part of his chin just migrated up to his cheek. Wait, I need a to... Oh god. <laughs> I, I, I can't unsee that. Hey, well, here's the thing. We're a shitty podcast that no one listens to. Dan Brown is like financially set. He's fine. One would argue that he was financially set before he ever published a single book. Yeah. Re- regardless, like you know, like, you understand the point I'm making, though. He's not going to be hurt by us. <laughs> well, certainly not fiscally. Chin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no one who. Let, let's be realistic here. No one who likes Dan Brown's books and is inclined to read them is going to stop reading them because we no. talk about him on our podcast. And honestly, if you're that easily influenced by the dumb jackoffs that we are, then go to www.brainworms.com exactly. and join our Patreon. Well That's... said. So yeah, we're going to talk about that. Does anybody else have any weird, unrelated jaunts you want to take us on before we actually just read this stupid book? Okay. Before we read this stupid book, I do want to remind you that we have a website. We give you brainworms.com where you can, in fact, did you say dot com? No, I actually very specifically said come <laughs> I know, that time. I know, I know. Let it go, Kane. Stop thinking about come. Stop thinking about come, Kane. I can't. Come. Why did we make his secondary prime directive, the, the secondary directive to be to think about semen? We didn't have yeah. anything to do with that. Wait, that just no, was, was that just me? He's no. just... Jesus and- Christ, did you drop one of your fucking J.O. crystals in the batch? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why I had a penchant for thievery as well. (laughs) 
Why are we so okay? That's that's great that we're writing the joke. <laughs> that's fine. That's perfectly normal. Um, but yeah, Kane's <laughs> primarily emotional drives are angry and horny, and uh, it's just the way he is. And we sometimes love him angrily horny, often angrily horny. But I mean, who isn't? That's fair. But yeah, you can support the show, you know, and uh, that'll be good for both us and you. Whatever. Do you want to read the stupid book, David? Yes, read the stupid book. I'm going to read the stupid book. All right. So we're picking up with Langdon at a party and no one knows why they're there. Does anyone else find it? And and I think, and I believe Dan Brown does this in all of his books. I know he did it in Digital Fortress, and I know he did it in Left Behind. Not Left. What the fuck? (laughs) Kirk Cameron is a pseudonym for Dan Brown. (laughs) I know he did it in Da Vinci Code. This thing where where something really interesting happens, or at least mildly interesting, happens at the beginning of the book, and then it's like he gets bored of that interesting thing. And we just wander off for like 10 chapters? Uh, because of Spence, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty common thing. Like, the prologue sets you know, up if, something that... if you that... lack any tact or artistry, you dangle a shiny thing and then you take it away and hope that interest sparks and I hope that shiny thing comes back. Well, you know, some weaker artists are <laughs> tempted to start a book with something flashy, some mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. action to grab like the reader. Like a giant snake? Like a giant snake or something, but true artists, true masters of the craft, know that uh, you just build from the beginning and work your way through. You know, it worked very well for Empress Teresa. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can we not fucking talk about that book? <laughs> no, no. We said the name, so now we can put it in the Yeah, uh, I, can, I can hashtag, I yeah, can hashtag so we, Empress Teresa. We can Teresa. hashtag it, and then we'll be memeing with the youngins, the millennials. You're a you fucking don't know youngin'. Anything. Millennials are older than... Than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like Generation Zoom, right? Is that what they're called now? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't care. Get off my lawn. <clears throat> Whatever. Let's go. Well, you've come to the right place. The man <laughs> swung his arm toward the massive building. In this museum, you will find one of the finest collections of modern art on Earth. I do hope you enjoy. I intend to, Langdon replied. I only wish I knew why I'm here. You and everyone else. The man <laughs> laughed merrily, shaking his head. <laughs> was that you putting in like a comment or is that the book? That's just the book. <laughs> Your host has been very secretive about the purpose of tonight's event. Not even the museum staff knows what's happening. The mystery is half the fun of it. Rumors are running wild. The Fleetwood Mac album? <laughs> there are several hundred guests inside, many famous faces, and nobody has any idea what's on the agenda tonight. God, I, I hope more than anything that like this, like all these high rollers and big players and everything, they all gather around and a guy comes out on stage and does like the, the dismembered thumb magic trick and then walks backstage and that's it. Show's over. Now Langdon grinned. Very few hosts on Earth would have the bravado to send out last minute invitations that essentially read Saturday night. Be there. And I ain't got me. nobody. And even fewer would be able to persuade hundreds of VIPs to drop everything and fly to northern Spain to attend the event. You'll never believe where he'll pull a coin from. 
Langdon walked out from beneath the spider and continued along the pathway, glancing up at an enormous red banner that billowed overhead. There's just going to be a single overhead light and just a sad party clown <laughs> making balloon animals. God, I and hope so. Evening with Edmund Kirsch. I hope that's the fucking case. It's like Puddle's Pity Party. Yes, bring on the sad clowns. <laughs> Send in the clowns. Edmund has certainly never lacked confidence, Langdon thought, amused. Some 20 years ago, young Eddie Kirsch had been one of Langdon's first students at Harvard University, a mop-haired computer geek whose interest in codes had led him to Langdon's freshman seminar, Codes, Ciphers, and the Language of Symbols. The sophistication of Kirsch's intellect had impressed Langdon deeply, and although Kirsch eventually abandoned the dusty world of semiotics for the shining promise of computers, he and Langdon had developed a student-teacher bond that had kept them in contact over the past two decades bow, since Kirsch's graduation. Oh, Professor, um, is there any way I could stay after class and get some help? This work is just too hard for me. Student-teacher oh. bond, not student-teacher bondage, y'all. <laughs> Um, couldn't you make an argument that all language is the language of symbols? I mean, I know that's not what they're saying. I get it. But it's just as a side note. I don't care. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. yeah. Which which yeah. came first, the chicken or the egg? The egg. 100%. Absolutely. It's not literal. <laughs> now, the student has surpassed his teacher, Langdon thought, <laughs> by several light years. I thought that was another comment. Now the learner has become the master. Now. The student has become the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. I know what I'm pitching down real low later. <laughs> You're definitely not pitching, Joe. I'm pitching a tent. Today, Edmund Kirsch was a world-renowned maverick, a billionaire That's computer where the scientist, name was. futurist. Every time you've said the name Kirsch, all right, it's driven me fucking crazy. All right, mm -hmm. I'm like, Kirsch, why is that fucking name so familiar? So everybody knows who Beverly Marsh is, right? Yeah. Now, Beverly Marsh ran into a Mrs. Kirsch. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Kirsch was Pennywise, but as a witch. It's true. Go ahead. Continue, David. Today, Edmund Kirsch was a world-renowned maverick, a billionaire computer scientist, futurist, inventor, and entrepreneur. And rider into the danger zone. The 40-year-old had fathered an astounding array of advanced technologies that represented major leaps forward in fields as diverse as robotics, brain science, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology. He also fathered an astounding array of bastards. <laughs> and his accurate wah. predictions about future scientific breakthroughs had created a mystical aura around the man. This guy sounds way more interesting than Kirsch. This is Kirsch. Yeah, this is Kirsch. Is, that he's yeah. Oh, about, God. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're, you're fine. Langdon suspected that Edmund's eerie knack for prognostication stemmed from his astoundingly broad knowledge of the world around him. For as long as Langdon could remember, Edmund had been an insatiable bibliophile, reading everything in sight. The Please. man's passion for books... Uh, can we pause for a second? I need to check something. Hmm? What's up? Remember that thing that, uh, that David's audacity did where it was using the wrong microphone? Yeah. You doing that too? Yeah. Just caught it. Ah, uh, boy. Okay, cool. Give me just a second. To, I had to stop my recording to correct that. So There we go. Okay, we're good now. Cool. Sorry about that. Apology not accepted. Oh, Fuck man. you. <laughs> you know what's great? I mm. just realized where we got to uh, last week. 
Mm-hmm. It's exactly this point that I'm trying to read now. This book does not want us to go past this point. Jesus. I mean, I mean, you arguably nothing of value was lost. Yeah. The man's passion for books and his capacity for absorbing their contents surpassed anything Langdon had ever witnessed. Dan Brown spends an amazing amount of paper real estate just admiring his protagonists. That's a fair point. I mean, I don't even remember who's who anymore, so he's just talking about people to me. (laughs) For the past few years, Kirsch had lived primarily in Spain, attributing his choice to an ongoing love affair with the country's old-world charm, avant-garde architecture, eccentric gin bars, and perfect weather. Once a year, when Kirsch returned to Cambridge to speak at the MIT Media Lab, Langdon would join him for a meal at one of the trendy new Boston hotspots that Langdon had never heard of. Their conversations were never about technology. Um, All Kirsch ever quick. wanted to discuss with Langdon was the arts. Is Langdon Kirsch and Kirsch Langdon, are they? No, Langdon and Kirsch are different people. Edmund Kirsch is the guy who has the secret that's going to destroy religion. He's the guy that the entire book is based around. So and the person who the entire first bit that we read last week R- okay. was so... devoted to. He's the guy that went to the temple and talked to the priests Robert Langdon was his professor. Okay, so... And Robert Langdon is the older character who is the central figure in, like, four other Dan Brown novels. Dan Brown self-insert. So, in this book, it has referenced Ed... I'm sorry, what was the the, the first guy again? Edmund Uh, Kirsch. Okay, it references him as Edmund and also Kirsch at different points. Is that... Like, should you not do that? It's his name. Yeah. You're going to hear me talk a lot about Discworld. It's one of the only things that I've ever actually, like, read extensively. But, like, Vimes. Captain Vimes. He, he's just referred to as Vimes. He has a first name. Sam. But, yeah. Samuel. But. Often referred to as Sam, in fact. No, mm. he's, like, he's only called Sam by <sighs> Ramkin. What, what's what's her, Lady Ramkin, what, his wife. What's his wife's Sybil. first name? So Thank you, Sybil. He's not called that by the narrator. Like, the narrator refers to him as Vimes. No, but this is from the point of view of Langdon. Oh, Robert yeah. Langdon. Okay. That's what I was going to bring up is, like, what it accomplishes in this case is, I think it's a thing in academia to, to refer, oh, oh, Johnson, my, my good fellow, like so that I, kind so of I'm thing. So I'm just, I'm not in the loop on this one. Yeah. And, and I think that's why Langdon and Kirsch kind of think about each other by by. Yeah, surnames. it seems to me... Um, just kind of from reading over it, that in general, the characters are referred to by their last name. But if Langdon is thinking about his friend, Edmund Kirsch, he might think of him by his first name. Right. (laughs) So the exact opposite of what I said. Does any of this matter? Nothing matters, ultimately. Anyone can see. (laughs) Their conversations were never about technology. All Kirsch ever wanted to discuss with Langdon was the art. Just kiss already. You're my culture connection, Robert, Kirsch often joked. My own private Bachelor of Arts. The playful jab at Langdon's marital status was particularly ironic, coming from a fellow bachelor who denounced monogamy as an affront to evolution you know, and had Joe, been photographed with a wide range of supermodels over the years. We're you know, never going to finish this fucking chapter. I can't get through a <laughs> sentence without getting interrupted in we're this never, one. So. We're never going to get past this fucking chapter. I was just going to make, like, the the comments that you guys just made was longer than what I was going to say. 
which was, Joe, I thought you were just kind of joking about them, like, kiss already, but, like, yeah, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down here. Yeah. Anyway, please continue. I'm sorry, David. Considering Kirsch's reputation as an innovator in computer science, one could easily have imagined him being a buttoned-up techno-nerd. But he had instead fashioned himself into a modern pop icon who moved in celebrity circles, dressed in the latest styles, listened to arcane underground music, married Grimes. Oh, wait, sorry, I threw that one in. I see what And you collected did a wide array of priceless impressionist and modern art. Kirsch often emailed Langdon to get his advice on new pieces of art he was considering for his collection. And then he would do the exact opposite, Langdon mused. He's kind of a jackass. I... Yeah, like he, he doesn't value your time. Yeah, he really is just Elon Musk. <laughs> Does anybody else find all of these characters just insipid and tedious? I still am unsure of who is who. And you guys <laughs> spent five minutes explaining it to me. I just don't care. <laughs> Dan Brown is a joke. You've just woven a defensive web of indifference around yourself, I think. I I try to come up with something funny to say, but it just takes too much effort. And Dan Brown does not deserve my effort. That's fair enough. Let's stop here and we'll come back to this next time. <sighs> Whatever. Don't forget to go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com. Like, subscribe, click the bell. Whatever. Um, thanks for listening. We're so sorry. This has been a production of Brainworms Presents. Any copyrighted content contained within is used for purposes of review. Brainworms Podcast is David Combs, Kane Magdalene, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. The theme music is HodgePod Number 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, you can support us and learn about our other projects at WeGiveYouBrainworms.com or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. Become the master. Only a master of evil, Darth.